I'm Carol Coletta, and this is Night Cities. As program director of creative communities at the William Penn Foundation, Sean McCaney has been a leader in reimagining Philadelphia's civic commons. He's been an aggressive advocate for better planning, design, and land use, for model planning initiatives, and for capital investments that demonstrate quality design. Most recently, the William Penn Foundation and the Knight Foundation have joined in an $11.5 million investment in five civic assets, old and new, in Philadelphia neighborhoods. Sean, together, William Penn and the Knight Foundation launched an initiative in Philadelphia we're calling Reimagining the Civic Commons. It's a joint investment of $11.5 million in five civic assets in the city, two parks, one of which surrounds a library, couple of trails, a new discovery center. Why did William Penn make that investment? Well, Carol, I think what's exciting about it is is that this initiative led by Knight is a perfect overlay to work we were already doing. You're probably aware that we had a our own public space strategy called Great Public Spaces, which was seeking to leverage public space investments throughout the city to promote greater connectivity in Philadelphia. And the themes around connectivity matched up beautifully to what I think the aims of the Civic Commons Initiative, which is how do these assets, how do these amenities promote greater interaction between uh, communities, different neighborhoods, and really sort of connect people to places. And I want to come back to that theme of connectivity. One of the ways in which we're using the grant is this is this idea of connecting the leaders of these civic assets. So I think together we've got, what, about $800,000, $900,000 that we're using for an innovation fund. And the idea is to make it possible for the leaders of these parks and trails and so forth to work together instead of competing for money. And I I thought it was really interesting in our kickoff meeting, one of them said, we've never had money to collaborate before. We we have to compete for funds. What are you hoping will come out of that collaboration? At one level, Carol, Carol, it's sort of forgiveness, because I think by supporting all these different groups and doing the great work, we've helped create the problem, which is that there are now organizations, nonprofit organizations across the city working on good projects in isolation. They're, they're not exchanging information. They're not sharing resources. They're, and as you mentioned, there's the potential that they'll even compete for resources. So our hope is to build back in a little bit more efficiency in the way that public space investment is done in the city. As I said to you before, and we've discussed this, you know, all public space investment used to be centralized under the city's park and recreation system. And this is true across cities across the United States. But now with private partners stepping up and playing a bigger role in public space development, it's a new system. It's, 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 it's transformed from a park system to a system of parks. So I hope our hope is to sort of re, begin to reconnect back all of these assets and the people who are wor- working on them to, again, build in more efficiency, reduce competition for resources, and really sort of increase the value add of each of each asset. Ideally, if all of these uh, amenities are connected, they're more valuable than they are on their own. You used interesting parallel language to the way in which the Knight Brothers newspapers were uh, described. You used um, it's instead of a instead of a park system, it's now a system of parks. But there's that question then of how do you really provide support for more modest 
parks and libraries, the neighborhood assets, and particularly those that are in neighborhoods that are disinvested, which need them so much. I think one of the interesting things about this project we're working on together is, is the fact that these are neighborhood assets and you had selected them specifically to be on the seams between neighborhoods that are disinvested and those that are better off economically. I mean, with that identification of those assets, what what were you thinking these assets then might be able to achieve? Several things. One is that uh, because we carefully selected these uh, projects to be in locations that we felt would appeal both to local neighbors, you know, people who live nearby, but also might be might be of sufficient quality or amenity to attract city neighbors and residents from other parts of the city, that there's a, a greater potential for stewardship, for private support, that um, you know, there might be the potential for on-site revenue generation, there might be more potential for fundraising than a park that was just supported by a local neighborhood. So our hope is that in each case, in each one of these cases, the 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 news public space, whether it's the library, um, the Reading Viaduct, um, the Centennial Commons, will appeal and be used by local community. That it also will appeal to all residents of the city, which instantly broadens uh, the potential for fundraising and revenue generation. It also broadens the potential for networks. And, you know, we don't have a lot of public spaces anymore that are used by people of different incomes, except downtown, right? And downtowns, right. you kind of get the big glamour projects and you see very diverse people using those assets, but you don't see that much at a neighborhood level. And I think it will be really interesting for us to see if that kind of mixing happens, because I think it's that kind of mixing of diverse people that becomes essential to creativity, which is so essential to our economy today. So absolutely agree. And I, and I, but I think this takes us back to that point about connectivity. It can't just be about amenities being developed in isolation. They have to be connected to other places and other neighborhoods. So many of these amenities share uh, linkages through a common trail system. For example, the Bartram's uh, Mile Project eventually will connect to Center City, meaning that it could be a local asset for the neighborhood, and it could be a place or a destination for Center City residents. So that connectivity part is really critical. Let me come back to this notion of private investing in public assets. I think it's, uh, you know, I think you're threading a needle there, as are we, right? Because, you know, there's some balance where if you do too much of it, I don't want to say too much of it, but there's only so much we can do. Let's put it that way. I mean, you can't afford to fund the libraries in Philadelphia, certainly we can't fund, afford to fund, you know, the parks in Miami. It just, you know, it's just not enough foundation money. And so when we invest in public assets, I think, you know, we have no no intention to replace public dollars, right? We're supplementing public dollars. How do you supplement public dollars in a smart way and in a way that allows you to invest and then withdraw over time? Because I think that's what it is, right? You're you're putting investment in and then you're trying to move investment to other places. To, to leverage better things to happen in the public realm. How are you approaching that? You've been thinking about this for a long time. That's, that's a great question, Carol. It goes right to the heart of this whole discussion about public and private partnerships. On the one hand, yes, we're trying to make catalytic investments in strong nonprofits to help them become 
more sustainable and to be able to do the, the supplemental fundraising and revenue generation that can contribute that added increment of value above what the public sector can support. By the same token, as you said, we very much want to avoid the potential of substituting private funding for public support. One outcome of this network may be that there's collective advocacy on the private side for more public support. Right now, these folks are engaging the city one at a time, but as a group, and hopefully we'll expand this group over time, they could be really be a force for advocating for additional public support. Because it's not about just being satisfied with what public, what the city is providing now. We need to, in addition to private support, increase public support for public infrastructure. And on top of that, one final theme is the city not only has a continuing role in, in providing support for these um, for these assets, but the city has a really important critical role in policy, ensuring that these remain public assets, that accessibility is maintained, that these facilities, even if they're privately managed, continue to be prominently public spaces. In your experience, Sean, what is the toughest part of putting a public-private partnership together? Plenty of challenges. And in Philadelphia, we, we do challenges really good, right? We, we have extra special challenges. I think, I think, you know, some of the issues that we're dealing with is the control issue. That's one thing. You have a strong park leader who feels obligated to provide leadership and, does, and sometimes doesn't want to surrender the control to a private partner. Another issue is we we haven't developed, and I'm speaking primarily Philadelphia, we haven't developed a strong set of practices yet. We seem to be forging these partnerships, these relationships one at a time. It would be great if we could come up with a standard approach to how public-private partnerships work. Strong nonprofits are able to negotiate great deals. Weaker ones, not so, so much. So, you you know, a small nonprofit trying to manage a public space should not be at a disadvantage because they don't have a capacity of, say, the center city district, which has a revenue, you know, dedicated revenue and, you know, strong board. There should be really, really well-crafted policies around how these public-private partnerships work. And, you know, and I think over time, there will be greater comfort uh, between the city and uh, their private partners in working together. Right now, we're sitting at the stage, we're trying to invent it. Right? We're trying to build these partnerships. We're trying to, um, you know, figure out each other. And um, it's, you know, it is a challenge. It's a new thing. But I'm convinced once we get a few wins on the ground, it'll be a lot easier down the road. If you had to list the ingredients for a successful public-private partnership, what would those be? I think you definitely need leadership from the city that at least – acknowledges or understands the need for, for private partnerships and is not resistant to the idea. I think you need uh, private partners who are very sensitive to community. You know, sometimes we confuse local nonprofits with their communities. They don't always have the same agenda. And it's important that nonprofits be super, super sensitive to the communities in which they're working. I think once you have those, you know, those issues addressed on both sides, it makes it much easier to form a more effective partnership. How do you imagine going forward at William Penn with your investment in great public spaces? The exciting thing about the Civic Commons initiative is that I see this as the kernel for a whole new way of working. You know, we um, 
have been uh, making public space investments under our new strategy for a few years, and they've been, you know, essentially individual investments. But through this new partnership, through this new network, I can see every investment we make being added to the network, expanding it, so that eventually our entire public space investment portfolio matches or mirrors the Civic Commons initiative. So we have a powerful network of public space operators, a lot of information and resource sharing, and we sort of get to that ideal of a stronger system of, of collaborating partners. The last time we were together talking with our partners on this grant, uh, our, our grantee, there was conversation about changing the nature of the frontline employee's job. It, it occurs to me that and, and having a, a really a new kind of position emerge out of this conversation on the and this demonstration on the civic commons, it strikes me that that another new potentially new job uh, to emerge out of this will be who can lead such a collaboration. Uh, to manage these partnerships, to manage this commons work, to to provide the connectivity that we're looking for. Do you think the model for that, it doesn't feel like bids are quite it, right? Business Improvement District um, or downtown organizations are quite it. Because for the most part, they're collecting money and occasionally they're building their own assets, but they're not, they're not managing they're not managing public assets that have their own identity. What what's your thought about that? That's a that's a really interesting point. To me, um, it's possible that there may be some skills from that model, the business improvement district model. But really, you think about this new position, this new role as an organizer, right? They're they're sort of organizing um, a network, and it's not about you know resources coming to the center, but what can this new facilitator, this new organizer, share out to the network? So, for example. Folks will, will come to a few meetings, and we've talked about this before, but eventually they have to feel like they're getting something out of the network. And I think so I think the role of the, um, of the facilitator, the organizer, whatever we call it, the super partner manager, partnership manager, is really to figure out what are the assets that everyone needs or the, the, the supports that everyone needs, how to identify them and how to share them out. Now, we're going to, through our initiative, Cal, we're going to sort of seed that process, right? We've built a little experimental fund to start the process, um, to give some dollars for folks to work together. I think that down the road, the uh, the convener of this network has to think about how to make that a continuing part of the process. What are what what resources can be combined or pooled that can be shared around the network to deliver value to everyone, not just individual projects? I just think this is the most interesting and important piece of work I've had the pleasure of doing over the last few years, and I'm so glad to do it with you, Sean. Uh, thanks so much for Same talking here, with me. Yeah, well, thanks <laughs> for having this uh, one of many, many conversations you and I will have over the next few years. So thanks so it's much. It's going to be a journey for sure. Sean McKinney is Program Director of Creative Communities at the William Penn Foundation. You can follow us on Twitter at hashtag Night Cities and at C. Coletta. Sign up for our newsletter at nightfoundation.org forward slash podcast to get the five things you should know from this interview and all of our other interviews. You've been listening to Night Cities. I'm Carol Coletta. <laughs>